Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. Your weekly, mostly weekly, it's been weekly lately, look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, and let's... Man, weird last 48 hours or so in the world of MMA. We had some fight announcements, some big, some smaller, some little bit confusing. Uh, Some confusing but awesome. We'll get to that one in particular. And we had fights. Last night, UFC 255. I imagine not a very successful pay-per-view in terms of financials. Uh... I don't mean this as a giant insult to anyone, but I have a hard time, based on all available information, seeing how an event headlined by Davis and Figueredo versus Alex Perez with a co-main of Valentina Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya would have, you know, broken the bank. Um, news somewhat related to the flyweight title fight, but we'll, we'll get to that. So we'll go over the pay-per-view, such as it was. Um, not the best, not the worst by any stretch of the imagination, but not great. And we'll preview this week's coming card, UFC on ESPN Plus 42, which lost the only good fight on the main card yesterday. I'm so sad. Because uh, not getting to watch Hanato Moicano and uh, Rafael Fiziev just, oh, breaks my heart. Just breaks your heart. Then news, and again, there's a fair bit of news to get to this week. So, uh, last week I got you guys out of here in like 40 minutes, probably less. I can't remember the exact runtime of that episode. This week going to be a little bit longer. So, strap in and bear with me. Let's go ahead and jump into the pay per view first because why not? All right, UFC 255. In your main event, at 157 of the first round, Davison Figueredo defeats Alex Perez via guillotine choke. Not a whole lot to say here. I mean, there's a few obvious things, but... Uh, they came out... Figueredo came out southpaw. And I, he switches from time to time. But he came out southpaw, I think, specifically to kind of diffuse the instant impact of Perez's leg kicks, which are very good. Uh, they both traded a little bit. Figueredo went to the body more than... I mean, we're talking about a two-minute fight, so I'm... There's not a whole lot here. Perez goes for a single leg... Uh, goes for, I think in wrestling it's called a treetop. It's where, because there's different kinds of single legs, this is the one where you just kind of keep lifting the leg up vertically. Uh, and you kind of try to push him over that way. Figueredo jumped for a scissor sw- for a leg scissor sweep. Attacked the leg, rolled through to Turtle when he couldn't get that. From Turtle, rolled back to his guard, reached around, grabbed the guillotine, locked in. Uh, Perez tried to fight out of it, but couldn't before he had to tap out. Uh, not a whole lot of... <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot there. Two-minute fight. Uh, Figueredo is pretty clearly the best. If him smashing Joseph Benavidez twice <laughs> didn't cue you in, this is the best flyweight in the world. <laughs> he's... He's not just a power puncher. Uh, he... Somebody posted this in the week in the lead up to this fight. I think I forget the specific uh, statistical variable like uh, definition they used. It might be like I think it was knocked. How many knockdowns you had per strikes landed? 
Uh, I think that was it rather than just like straight knockdown ratio, like how many times you knock down someone versus getting knocked down. Uh, one of those two. I, I can't remember. I think it was, I think it was, you know, n how many knockdowns do you get per strikes, per significant strikes you land? Now, to the shock of no one when it comes to that particular statistic, Francis Ngannou is the man. I think Fi Figueredo was, I believe, right behind him. Uh, so despite being at you know, the extreme opposite ends of the weight spectrum, Figueredo scores a lot of damage. He's <laughs> he's got power. He's not a he's not just a a sloppy striker either. He's wild, but he's not. He knows what he's doing technically. He knows how to beat the body up to set up the head. He throws a lot of kicks. He had a good body kick in this one. So did Perez. Perez had a really nice inside leg kick and a body kick at one point. Just Perez was just outgunned uh, everywhere. Which was a little bit surpri not surprising that Figueredo won. A little bit surprising it wasn't more competitive. I think it's kind of how I think about that. Um, yeah, Figueredo's the man. Uh, power, power puncher. Slick jujitsu guy. Uh, he's a he's gonna be a handful for everyone in that division. Uh, you know he's on track to be your fighter of the year for 2020. I know it's been a weird year, but the man's got three wins now. All three of them finishes. And we know what's next for him. I don't want to get too deep into that. I want to save it for the uh, news section. But we do know what's next for him and for a guy we'll talk about on the prelims, Brandon Moreno. Uh, that It's kind of been confirmed that they're going to fight again before the end of the year. Uh, yeah, Figueredo is... He's the man at flyweight. That's kind of all there is to it at the moment. Uh, solid, solid performance from him all the way around. Even on Even when he was, you know, in bad positions, he knows kind of how to deal with it. So... Good for him. Uh, kudos. Uh, Co-main event. Valentina Shevchenko defeated Jennifer Maia via unanimous decision. 49-46 across the boards. Um, I saw some headlines being that said something like, you know, uh, close fight. I'm sorry, guys. The fact that Jennifer Maia overperformed relative to your expectations does not make this a close fight. Somebody wins four rounds to one, it's not a close fight. Again, did Maya over... Look, the number of people who thought she was just going to get uh, you know, completely obliterated. Yeah, they might have thought, wow, this was a close fight. It wasn't that close a fight. Maya's physical strength proved to be a, a bit of a problem in the clinch. And not just physical strength, but she was really good about fighting for underhooks, really good about fighting for head position. Uh, that gave Valentina some, some problems, but here's, and I'm not one of those, uh, Valentina is, you know, uh, can do no wrong. No, I like to think I have a pretty, uh, a fairly balanced view of these things. Valentina fought very well, but she tried a, a very ill-advised trip takedown in the second that got reversed. Maya landed on top and just kind of rode out the last three minutes of the round or so from that position. Uh, the other rounds, if they were on the feet, especially as the fight wore on, Valentina was good about throwing a pretty good one-two, angling off. Yeah, just her, her usual kind of 
bait you into overextending, split your timing, hit a counter, reset, try to repeat, or you know, throw a one-two as you're trying to figure out what's going on. She's still crashing distance. Get a body lock. Get a takedown into side control. Start working from there. Uh, th this was not a close fight. It was more competitive than a minus, what's she like, a minus 2,000 favorite, I think? Something like that. It was more competitive than those odds would lead you to believe. Sure. But the odds are not... A, the. Uh, I, I kind of object to the way odds kind of go when it comes to this. People look at giant odds disparities and think... Uh, you should beat someone easily if the dis if the distinction is that high. All that is meant to represent, if we're just talking about who's going to win, what is the probability of someone winning? If you you can you know break down what are the odds of them winning in this fashion in this particular round, etc. But if it's just straight up, what are the odds that Jennifer Maya can beat Valentina or is going to win? I mean. I would not have gone, you know, 200 to 1. <laughs> uh, like that kind of was. A minus 2,000 is about the 200 to 1 mark. Or 20 to 1, sorry. 20 to 1. Not, I would not say that you know, Maya was... That, that, let me say this. I would not say that Valentina was going to you know, annihilate this woman like Jennifer Maya had never been in a professional fight before. But that's not, but the odds as far as that goes, it, I don't know, maybe it's because I think too much of it is a binary thing. Uh, I mean, look, were those odds justified? Here's the reality. Shevchenko won, and it wasn't, a it wasn't close. The fight was more competitive than people thought it would be, 100%. She won four rounds to one, and every one of those four rounds she won was not close. Not to say Maya had no success. Maya found a home for her right hand in certain ex in certain places. And once they clinched, Maya was pretty good about trying to keep Valentina on the fence, getting head position, and fighting for underhooks. It's Maya is a capable fighter. But she lost four of the five rounds uh, decisively. That's kind of the long and the short of it, as far as, <laughs> as, far as that goes. Um... Bit of a question about Shevchenko next. I know coming into this, there had been uh, you know, some talk about her moving back up to bantamweight and fighting Amanda Nunes again. This this performance, uh, it's always rough when you when you have some very very dominant performances. People start expecting perfection, and then anything less than that, and now oh, there's chinks in the armor, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And to be clear, Valentina is far from an unbeatable challenge when it comes to how would you fight her on paper. She does pretty much everything very well. There's, but she's, it's never been a question of, well, how do you beat this woman? It's more a question of, okay, here's an avenue. Now, how are you going to, how are you going to be able to pull it off? That's the much bigger question when it comes... And she's not alone in this. There's several people. Look, Francis Ngannou, you want to beat that guy? You fake him early, kick him to the leg and body, make him swing and miss, and you, and then he just gets tired as the fight goes on. 
That's how you beat that guy. Now, good luck, because you're, <laughs> because that's not easy to do. It's easy to see the, it's easy to see the strategy. Implementing it is an entirely different thing. Controlling Valentina against the fence, trying to limit her ability to set angles and traps, making her try to be more of the aggressor, and potentially getting her down from time to time. That's a pretty solid game plan to beat her. Implementing it is where you've run into problems. Uh, sorry, point being there. After this performance, I think some... Uh, I tend to think the hype around that around a third fight with Nunes at the moment would cool off. Especially, especially, because Flyweight very recently had an injection of a very particular fighter in the form of Jessica Andrade. Uh, Andrade and Valentina would be a heck of a fight. That would be a very, very good fight. I think that's the fight to make. Uh, I don't know what Nunes is doing right now. There's some options for her kind of cropping up. I wouldn't, to be clear, I would not object to uh, a Valentina-Amanda trilogy fight. Wouldn't get on my high horse and scream about it. But, and if Chukagian had beaten Andrade, if Chukagian was still, like, the next person up in theory after getting ma after getting smashed the way she did, yeah, you're not holding up the division at that point. But you've got a brand new contender who's a former champion, uh, Andrade being the former strawweight champion. Andrade has wins at bantamweight, flyweight, and strawweight. She's not only a viable contender, she's kind of a viable name. You know, No one knew who Jennifer Maya was coming into this. Uh, very few people. I shouldn't say no one. Very few. Not a big profile. Andrade kind of has, has a better profile. So, you get Shev... I say you do Shevchenko and Andrade. That's a really, really good fight. Uh, I don't know anyone who would object to that fight. So... Shevchenko continues rolling. Maya overperforms. Uh, can I say just one thing briefly, kind of relative to this? Uh, I know Maya submitted Joanne Calderwood to get this shot. Hit a pretty good armbar, actually. But the the promotional bit for this uh, had, was talking about how Jennifer Maya is a dynamic grappler, and I've looked at Maya's record. That uh, the armbar over Calderwood was. Maya's first submission win in eight years. The woman, she trains out of shoot box. Or at least what used to be shoot box. I think she's still with them. She's not a dynamic grappler. That is not her game. I don't know why they were selling her that way. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I think is next for Shevchenko. But make the Andrade fight. I have a really hard time. Jessica Andrade is one of the, is very, very infrequently in a boring fight. So, give her that shot. I'd be fine with it. Be a really good fight. Kind of makes itself. All right, next up, Tim Means defeated Mike Perry via unanimous decision, 130-27 and then 229-28. Uh, bigger story coming out of this, Mike Perry missed weight by like five pounds, which is a horrible weight miss. Just horrible. Uh, Means had some dicey moments in the early going. Perry... Hit him pretty well, pretty good. Got him down, got his back, but Means just kind of weathered the storm. Knows how to fight from that position. Survived, got up, and then on the feet, just 
much, much smoother technician than Perry. Uh, Perry might be on his way out of the UFC. He's hit a rough stretch recently. The man clearly has a lot of latent ability, but he has never found the proper uh, either game plan in the cage or like structure in his life to kind of, to maximize that. So, decent fight. Uh, women's flyweight fight. Caitlin Chukagian defeated Cynthia Calvillo via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, bog standard Caitlin Chukagian fight. Uh, nothing to see here as far as that goes. Uh, man, I wish I knew what happened to Cynthia Calvillo, you know? She debuted and... You know, that fight with uh, Carla Esparza should have been a much bigger warning sign to all of us, I think. Because she won that first round against Esparza by grappling and then spent the next two rounds getting outstruck by Carla Esparza. Uh, she needs a pretty radical refocus in what she's doing if she's going to make a run of this. And kicking off the main card, Paul Craig defeated Shogun Hua via TKO. Shogun tapped to strikes, all right? That's, I just object to it being listed as a TKO. Uh, 3.36 of the second. Uh, look, I have a lot of nostalgia for Shogun. The man is one of the best light heavyweights the sport has ever produced. Probably number two or three, depending on how you want to rate things. I don't know if you'd put... Uh, I don't know where you would rank Daniel Cormier just as a light heavyweight relative to Shogun as a light heavyweight. You might, I mean, if they fought in their at their best, best version of Shogun, best version of Cormier, Cormier probably wins. But Cormier's body of work at light heavyweight I don't think is quite the same as... I mean, in some respects you could argue it's better. He actually defended the title. Uh, so I don't know. Where you rate him relative to Cormier is... I'm going to come down to degrees of personal preference, I think. But uh, he is no worse than... Third is probably... You know, second or third is probably uh, where he should be. And he is absolutely no worse than fourth. I don't know who you would put above him after you get through, you know, uh, Jones and Cormier as one and two, respectively. But, I mean, he was better than... He was better if we look at, you know... Uh, I think, look, he was better than Vanderlei, I think. Uh, he was better than Chuck. He knocked Liddell out when they fought. He, The best version of Chuck would have been beaten by Shogun. I, point being, I don't know who you would say is, you know, above him. Uh, it would fit in between Shogun and Cormier, but... Uh, there's no way anyone is... <laughs> There's no way there's more than one person, and even then, that is a very—you'd have to make a compelling argument. But it's time, man. Uh, that he needs to be done. He just needs to be done. Uh, he's old. I mean, he made his professional debut in what oh two. I'll say it was oh two. Yeah, it was. November of 02. Um, so, made his debut. And you know he'd been training for a while before that, so he's probably got about 20 years of being in the MMA game. 
I uh, spent a lot of time in, you know, shoot box where it's brutal wars, you know, gym wars. That was the gym war team. For those who don't know what shoot box was in its heyday, they went to war in the gym every day. Uh, he's had injuries, and he's had some wars in the cage, you know, in the cage ring, whatever you want to say. I mean, his first fight with Little Nog and Pride was a bit of a was a war. Uh, you know, think about his UFC run. You know, John Jones beat the crap out of him. His first fight with Dan Henderson, that took years off of both of their lives, man. Think about that for just a second. I guarantee you that fight significantly impacted the like the, the lifespan of both of those guys. They they beat the crap out of each other. And he's had others since then. Uh, his second fight with Henderson, a little bit more one-sided in his sen- on his part until he got knocked out. But all the years, all the miles. Uh, the only other time previous to this that he tapped his strikes, uh, John technically made him do it when they fought. Like you can see him tapping the mat to say, I'm done. Uh, like right as Herb Dean is kind of uh, waving the fight off as Shogun has kind of collapsed to the mat. But this, uh, Craig has back mount, fully flattened out, laying in punches. Shogun knows he's done, taps, but uh, he doesn't need to be here anymore. Uh, that's been true for a while, but this really should have made that clear. I kind of wish... You know, I know Little Nog retired after their fight, uh, their third fight. Shogun should have retired, too. He got a win. It was a perfectly acceptable nostalgia trip, I guess. I mean, I didn't care a whole lot for it, but I'm just me. So... He should have retired after that. Just, he needs to be done. Yeah, the UFC will cut Juicy A Formiga. I'm not going to talk about a whole lot here, but but they've still got you know Mike Perry missing weight by five pounds and being the kind of disaster that he is in some respects, and Shogun. Ugh. I know the man got some wins recently, which is just a testament to both his per, his his ability and his toughness. And kind of a damning indictment on the light heavyweight division. It's both of those at the same time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what Craig does from here. He was, I think, 15 coming into this. He'll probably move up a spot or two, but... Uh, light heavyweight is in an odd spot in that... I think for the first time in years, it seems to be trending positively. You have some younger guys coming up. You've got Alexander Rakich on the way up, uh, who seems to finally, who seems to kind of be settling in. Despite that, he had the split decision loss to Uzdemir. I mean, I thought he won that, but you know, you got Uzdemir still kind of hanging around. He's a little bit up and down though. Uh, you have Yuri Prohachka, who just debuted. I think Nikita Krylov is still there, and he's still a young guy. Bring up the rankings real quick. Light heavyweight. Uh, yeah, you got Walker maybe trying to figure things out finally. You got Magomed on Kalayev, uh, who definitely seems to be on the ascension. Uh, Jimmy Crute might be able to do something. He's still young, so could go either way there. 
point being, this we're, we are at probably the first point in the last couple of years when I think the division, the health of the division is trending up rather than trending down. Whether it remains, whether it you know maintains trending positively or not, remain well you know it simply remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, so again, it's trending positively. Is it in a good spot? Objectively, no. It's still probably the second worst division they have, second worst men's division behind heavyweight. But if it keeps going the direction it's going, it might be able to surpass. What's the next worst division after that? We need to do a divisional ranking at some point. <laughs> you got, like, lightweight and bantamweight at the top, in whatever order you want to put those two. Featherweight, right behind that. I'd like to say flyweight in terms of talent, but flyweight's also... The UFC's doesn't quite know what to do with that at the moment, so that's probably lower. Uh... Middleweight's in a pretty good spot. Middleweight suffers at the moment just because Adesanya beat so many top guys on his way up, but that's not... The division itself is fairly healthy. Welterweight? You know... Welterweight's pretty good in most senses, but... Welterweight might be having an aging problem soon. There's not been a lot of turnover in that division, as I'm looking at it. You, know, you got Usman, Covington, Burns, Edwards, Mosfidal, Thompson. Woodley at six seems wrong. Maya, Chiesa, Magni, Luke, Jeff Neal. Neal's got a big fight coming up that could. But Pettis is still ranked in your top 15. Bilal Muhammad, Robbie Lawler, and then Kamzat Shemaev. Um, okay, Shemaev's new blood, but Lawler and Pettis, really. I. Uh, Yeah, the top of that division has kind of been the top of the division for a few years now, and uh, that, not the worst problem at the moment, but if we're in the same spot a year from now, that's kind of a problem. So, yeah, it might be able to, Light Heavyweight could overtake one of those weaker divisions. It could overtake Flyweight. Uh... And then probably, yeah, will you wake welterweight and middleweight kind of in the middle of that pack is largely a matter of preference, I think. With welterweight maybe actually being on the wrong end of that discussion as I look at the divisional state. So maybe light heavyweight could make a move over, you know, some either flyweight or welterweight, kind of depending on how you have those ranked out. But uh, it still needs some work. But like I said, first time, if I were to be optimistic. It is trending in the right direction, so there's at least that. Alright, that that was your main card. Uh, Chukagin and Calvillo was eminently skippable. Means and Perry was a fun little scrap. She, I don't know that there's a whole lot of value to watching Shevchenko and Maya, and you know, Figueredo and Perez was over in two minutes. Not the worst pay-per-view card ever, but lower, lower third. Wasn't great. As for the prelims, Brandon Moreno defeated Brandon Royville via TKO punches slash injury at 4.59 of the first. Royville's right shoulder uh, separated, dislocated one of the two. I know there's a distinction between the two, but I don't know which one he did medically. 
Uh, they were scrambling on the ground because these two guys went after it, man. As long as this lasted, it was a pretty good fight. But there's just a sequence when Moreno has... He's got the back, but he's only got... But instead of having both hooks, he's kind of got locked down on... This was Royville's right leg. Like you would have if you were going to try and set up a twister. Uh, Royville scoots out to his own left. Moreno grabs his right arm and kind of yanks it back over across him as he's setting up... Uh, trying to come up on top. Uh, and it just popped out, apparently. He was in... Uh, Royville was in pretty serious pain. Moreno gets on top, pounds him out, ref stops it. Uh, Royville's coach, Mark Montoya, puts it back in. But, uh, yeah, unfortunate, because this was shaping up to, again, for as, as long as it lasted, it was really fun. Uh, hopefully they'll get to run it back at some point in the future. I don't, if this is a chronic problem for Royville, uh, he needs to get that shoulder done surgically. If it's, you know, if it was just somebody yanking on the end of his arm really, really hard in the middle of a fight, okay. I mean, Mark Montoya's been around the block enough times with enough people to probably have picked up along the way how to, you know, put a shoulder back in as a, uh, an emergency stopgap. Uh, Moreno called for a title shot. We now know that he's going to get it. More on that later. Uh, good fight. Joaquin Buckley defeated Jordan Wright via knockout punches, 18 seconds of the second round. Uh, Wright's corner should not have let him come out for the second round. Wright, I kind of had Wright winning this fight. He was winning the round up until the very end of the first when Buckley catches him and hurts him pretty badly. Uh, Wright might have been saved by the bell a little bit there. But he was he was in no shape to have come out for that second round, and Buckley just lowered the boom. Uh, Antonina Shevchenko defeated Ariane Lipsky via TKO 433 of the second uh, Lipsky found some good right hands when they were on the feet, but Shevchenko got takedowns, superior grappler. Antonina got a performance bonus for this. Uh, that should have gone to Figueredo. Just straight up. Uh, this was... Eh, it, it was not a terribly compelling fight. Nicholas Dalby defeated Daniel Rodriguez via unanimous decision, 30-27 and then 229-28. Scores all over the place a little bit on this one. If you look at the other two judges, no, they did not agree on which round Rodriguez won. In fact, the only round that was unanimous was the first going to Dalby, and that's the round I thought was the closest. Uh, somebody gave uh, Rodriguez the third, which kind of baffles me a little bit. I thought Dalby pretty clearly had that. I don't object to Dalby winning. Uh, you have one close round in the first, from where I was sitting. First round, close. Second round, Rodriguez. Third round, Dalby. Comes down to how you score the first round, so 29-28 for either man is somewhat acceptable. 30-27 was a little bit odd. Again, I thought Rodriguez won that fight. But I'm not a judge. I'm just me. And on the early prelims, Alan Joban defeated Jared Gooden via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Decent little fight. Gooden certainly had moments. Uh... Just seemed like he was a little bit more limited in terms of his offense, only being punches. And he he messed up Joban's face. Joban's right eye got swollen pretty badly. But Joban is tough and a crafty veteran at this point. Kyle Dawkus defeated Dustin Stoltzfus via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 130-26. I don't remember a whole lot about this fight. Um... I remember agreeing with Dawkus winning, and I think it was the third round that could have been 10-8, and I wouldn't have complained. 
just I don't remember a whole lot about the fight. And kicking everything off, Sasha Politnikov scored a non-trivial upset uh, numerically. He was uh, his opponent, Louis Kosi, was about a what about a minus five hundred, which was a little bit baffling to me. I mean, making him the favorite, okay, but you're seven and zero, and have never fought outside the first round versus a guy who's five and two but has fought five rounds a few different times. Uh, again, you you want to pick Kosi, I think I did. That's, or even make him the favorite, that's fine, but I don't think there's there's very few occasions when fighter when fights between fighters at this level, you get two guys with seven fights each, and one of them's never fought past the first round, and not even, like, the first round closing, like, the end, like, somewhere in the middle of the first round. Uh... You put heavy odds on that guy, you're just asking to get burned a little bit. So, good on Politnikov. He absorbed some heavy pr- some pressure early, but persevered, got through it, and just kind of wore down Kosi as the fight went on en route to the stoppage. I mean, I think the stat was this. I think somewhere in the second round, might have been in the third, but at least in, uh, but second, late second at least. Uh, the fight, this fight, just this fight, was longer than the entire rest of Kosi's professional fight career combined. That's a good on Politnikov, and that was the event. So thanks to everyone who read live or after the fact. Not a very hyped card, I know, but there was some good stuff on here. Uh, Buckley and Wright was you know, pretty decent. Uh, Moreno and Royville was great before the end. Figueredo and Perez had about as good a two-minute fight as you're going to find as my dog loses her mind. So, uh, yeah, again, not the worst. All right, let's move on. Uh, This preview should be fairly quick. Because, uh, yeah, not a whole lot to say here. Uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 42? My notes say here. Yes, plus 42. All right, main event, Curtis heavyweight, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. I I don't know what to say here. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this fight. Um, Derek Lewis gives up a lot of takedowns. And Curtis Blades does a pretty decent approximation of Khabib. He's good about getting you down. He's pretty good about kind of riding you up. And uh, if you get up, he rides you back down. Fighting for wrist control, stripping your base, finding damage along the way. Uh, Lewis has game-changing power, to be sure. Uh, And he's kind of let guys wear themselves out, wrestling him a little bit, but... Uh, that's probably not a great idea against Blades. Um, Blades is on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, his only his only losses as a professional have come to Francis and Ngannou. That's it. Um, and while things got a little dicey on occasion in the Volkov fight, especially later, you know, ultimately he won. Uh... Man, heavyweight's just such a weird spot right now. 
Um, because, look, it should be Stipe against Francis Ngannou in a rematch for the title, right? Not a whole lot of controversy about this. And Stipe's at a point where he's beaten a giant chunk of that division. Let me take a quick look at heavyweight here for a second. So the rankings at the moment, you have Stipe, Francis, Curtis Blades, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, Lewis, Overeem, Volkov, JDS, Abdurahimov, Sakai, Olenek, Harris, Pavlovich, Ivanov, Gon, and Arlovsky, if you want to go all the way down. He's beaten Ngannou, hasn't fought Blades or Jarzinho. I don't think he's fought Lewis yet either. But he's beaten Overeem, he beat JDS twice. He's beaten a few of these guys, especially a few of the better guys. So you're going to wind up with rematches for Stipe. I mean, look, if Overeem beats Alexander Volkov, that's a fight that's set up. You know, if he beats Volkov and gets one more win, say, in a rematch with Jarzinho, or he beats Derek Lewis, uh, he'd get a second crack at the belt. So It should be in Ganu. If Blades wins here, he's got to very, very strong case. I mean, five in a row. The guys he's beaten, if he adds Derek Lewis to that mix. Uh, it's just a question of timing at this point. You know, who's healthy at which point, uh, etc. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking Blades here. Lewis just gives up takedowns way too easily. Uh, I expect this fight will be sloppy, go long, and probably disappoint. Light heavyweight co-main event. That is a rough one, two points. I mentioned before, this fight was supposed to have uh, Hanato Moicano and, ha and Rafael Fiziev. Sadly, that bout had to be moved after Moicano tested positive for COVID. Um, Anthony Smith and Devin Clark. And Smith has had a rough go of it. This was supposed to be Devin Clark and Shamil Gamzatov. This makes slightly more sense. Uh, I mean, Gamzatov undefeated, beat Clinton Abreu uh, in his UFC debut. Devin Clark is mostly a wrestler. And Smith's recent run not been great. Uh, just one in three in his last four losses to John Jones, Glover Teixeira, and Alexander Rakich. I'm still going to pick Smith and just feel really, really stupid when his career slump continues. Women's flyweight Gina Mazzani will fight Rachel Ostevich. Uh, Rachel coming off of that loss to Paige Van Zant. Not had a good ru good run lately. She's just one and uh, one and two in the UFC actually. Uh, she needs to run pretty badly. That said, Mazzani. Uh, is two and four in the UFC. Uh, this I wouldn't say it's a get well fight for Ostovich, but it is kind of a, a litmus test. You know, if she if she loses this, she should probably she's probably gonna get cut. I mean, women's flyweight is not in a position to cut a tremendous amount of talent, but Ostovich at this point, again, just being like four and five overall. Uh, the UFC is not a good place to develop as a fighter. Uh, 
and she needs if she needs more seasoning then she shouldn't be in the UFC in some respects uh, welterweight fight between Miguel Baeza and Takeshi Sato that's not the worst fight in the world actually uh, Sato's 2-1 and one in the UFC had a couple of good finishes only lost to Bilal Muhammad I'll pick Sato there, but that's a pretty, that's an okay fight. That might be the best fight on the card now. And another another heavyweight fight. Oh, this main card is designed to punish you for watching. Josh Parisian and Parker Porter. Um, Porter debuted for the UFC not that long ago, I seem to recall. He's a he's a thick guy. Yeah, he lost to Chris Dawkins. Okay, I remember that fight. And Parisian. No relation to Caro. Yeah, making his UFC debut. I don't mind picking Parisian there, but, you know, low-level heavyweights. Uh, let's see. On the prelims, we have Ashley Evans-Smith against Norma Dumont-Viana. Norma's second fight in the UFC, I think. Yeah, she she got starched by Megan Anderson. Whereas Ashley, uh, one and three in her last four, only beating Beck Rawlings. I don't know. I'll pick Evan Smith just because. Uh, Dumont is like 4-1, I think. You're that inexperienced to get someone with that much experience, unless you're clearly super talented. You tend to struggle in those fights. Bantamweight fight, Martin Day and Anderson Dos Santos. Don't mind picking Day there. Flyweight, Amir Albazi and Zalgas uh, Zumagulov. Let's see something related to that fight. Zumagulov is uh, Kazakh? Yeah, he's Kazakh. He fought in the UFC. Yeah, he lost to Harley and Paiva. That was a pretty good fight, though. Uh, from what I recall. And Albazi. Uh, one is UFC debut. Okay. Uh, it's flyweight. Could be good. Another flyweight fight. Uh, Sue Mudaraji against Malcolm Gordon. Uh, sorry, these are listed all over the place. Uh, let's see. Finally got his first UFC win. Uh, he beat Andre Sukumtad over a year ago, though, back in August of 19. It's a long layoff. Uh, Gordon lost his UFC debut yeah, to Amir Albazi, actually. Okay. Um, I'll go with Sue, I guess. Uh, there's this catch weight. I don't see the uh, the weight they'll be fighting at. Luke Sanders and Nathan Manis. I don't mind picking Luke Sanders there. And then a featherweight fight between Spike Carlisle and Bill Algeo. Let's see Bill for a second here. 
Okay, he lost to uh, Ricardo Lamas in his debut. Yeah, I'll pick Carlisle there, but... Uh, yeah, that one, again, a lot of those kind of further down could go either way. End of a featherweight fight between Jonathan Pierce and Kai Kamaka the third. Um, Kamaka's fought in the UFC. Yeah, had one, one uh, had one successful fight in the promotion. I think Pierce has fought there as well. I could be mistaken though. Yeah, he lost to Joe Lozon over a year ago in October of nineteen. <laughs> Losing to Joe Lozon in two thousand nineteen. I'll pick Kamaka there. And yeah, that'll be the event, so... Oof. That could be a rough one. There's some good... There's some stuff... I mean, the undercard, honestly, looks a little bit better than the main card, but... Yeah. So next Saturday, in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, I will be covering it, so stop by, say hello, appreciate my suffering. I always appreciate that. Uh, Alright. News. I'll try not to belabor too much of this. Uh, let's start here. Finally official, uh, the rematch between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor is set to take place as the first pay-per-view event for 2021. So UFC 257. Um, that's kind of a one-fight card at the moment. You got Poirier McGregor, great fight. At the moment, no title attached to it. The UFC, I want to talk a little bit about this later, but the UFC has still not addressed uh, Khabib holding the title and being retired. So, it, I want, again, I want to touch on that a little bit later. But at the moment, no title on the line between those two. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, also on that card, Joanne, uh, Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood, Brad Tavares, Antonio Carlos Jr., Michelle Waterson, Amanda Hebus, Andrew Sanchez, Andre Muniz, Nazareth Hakparas versus Armin Sarukian. That's a good fight. And Otman Isatar and Matt Frivola. I, just, look, guys, if you're buying... I know you don't have to stack a Conor McGregor card with value to get people to buy it. I get that. But that's a, that is a one-fight card as it currently stands. Just going to call that like it is. But that's official. Uh, I'm glad. There, By the time we get to that, there might be a title attached to that of some variety. We'll have to... There's some wait and see going on still, but I don't object to the fight. It's a good fight. Try to keep the lightweight division moving. Uh, yeah, so... Finally, that's been, you know, rumbled about for a while. Finally got signed, so hooray. Uh, let's see, UFC. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about this one. <laughs> um, the last pay-per-view of the year, UFC 256. Uh, this was supposed to be headlined by the bantamweight title fight between Piotr... Uh, let's go with Piotr between Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling, which is a great fight. Well, news broke yesterday, I'm sorry, earlier today, uh, that that fight's off, some family issues with Jan, 
Hope there's nothing crazy going on there. Uh, that fight's going to have to be rescheduled. In its place now, based on coming out of last night, will be a flyweight title fight between Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. I'm a little bit hesitant that this stays... This was odd, because there was some reports, I mean, last night, before the news about Jan broke, uh, Dan White going, yeah, we're going to get Moreno and Figueredo together, and they both had fights that ended in the first round, neither took any significant damage, uh, certainly nothing that would entail a, a medical suspension, and they're going to fight at 256, and a lot of us kind of went, what? Uh, turns out the impetus behind that decision was the loss of Jan and Sterling. And the UFC... Uh, I said it last week. It, I said it... Sorry, not last week. I said it after that kind of soundbite was floating around from Dana. Like, uh, 256 wouldn't object to it being bolstered a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense. And I'm... I'm still not sure that fight holds together. Uh, 125 is not an easy weight cut for Figueredo. He's got to plan that out. Uh, to turn around and cut weight again, in, this would be the shortest turnaround for a UFC champion, I think, ever. Uh, to fight, to headline one pay-per-view, and then 21 days later, do it again. Uh couple, you know, again, kind of the way he has to manage that weight cut with the time frame. I'm just saying don't be too surprised if that fight doesn't hold together, which would be, that could be catastrophic for the UFC. And I want to touch a little bit on this later. But if that fight falls apart, um, the UFC's going to have some problems with this pay-per-view. Because it is, it is not good. Uh, I mean, let, let's just, well, so it got another fight that is a good fight, but I don't know that if the, the UFC could bump this up to the main event and just say, screw it, you're paying 60 bucks for a Tony Ferguson fight with no title on the line, but that, yeah, it, it could be really bad for them, uh, for reasons we'll get into in a second. Um, so yeah, that's going to be our new main event for 256. Uh, I think I saw Luke Thomas tweet this. It's a very 2020 thing that the last three title fights the UFC puts on in 2020 are all flyweights. <laughs> uh, two men's, one women's. Uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the fight to make, to be sure. I'm not complaining about it. The fight will be fine if it happens. Uh, they're just going to... The UFC is kind of banking on hitting their uh, contractual minimums for number of events, and there's a few of these pay-per-views that they just seem to know are not going to sell well. Which is fine because of the way their contractual contractually obligated revenue is structured. They don't need to... They, they don't care as much about that vulnerability. So Or vulnerability variability. Um, yeah, 256 right now, it got a new, I'm going to assume, co-main event. Tony Ferguson, fresh off of the drubbing that, uh, <laughs> that Justin Gagey gave him, 
will fight Charles Oliveira. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Ferguson fighting Michael Chandler. Now, in but in yet another in the laundry list of instances of Dana White talking out of both sides of his face, he said that Chandler couldn't cut weight again for 256 after he cut weight for the uh, the Khabib pay-per-view. I think what number that was. 254. It just wasn't feasible for him to, at 256, make lightweight again. Meanwhile, he's telling Davis and Figueredo to make weight twice in, you know, two, in three weeks. Ugh. And look, to be abundantly clear, if if that's not a reasonable timetable for Michael Chandler to turn around at lightweight, fair enough. He shouldn't be forced to do anything that is that would be that unhealthy if that is very unhealthy for him. Or if he's got, you know, other stuff planned with family, if he didn't want to upend his life on, you know, three, four weeks' notice to fight a murder machine in Tony Ferguson. Uh, Chandler had kind of been advocating to be the co-main event for Poirier McGregor. So, he's not opposed to fighting. He's not even opposed to fighting Tony Ferguson. The timing just didn't work out. As Ferguson really wanted to fight again in 2020. So, now he will fight Charles Oliveira. This is an odd fight because it feels like Tony's fighting down. We spent so long thinking of him as a guy that should be fighting for the belt, and he spent so long being a guy that should be fighting for the belt, that him fighting someone who isn't number, like, the champion, or in that immediate vicinity while the champion is otherwise occupied, does feel a little bit weird. Uh, But Charles Oliveira has he's on a good run man how many has he won in a row now hang on one two three four five he's won seven fights in a row and he's finished all of those now the first couple on that list okay they're lower level guys but his last two he knocked out Jared Gordon in 90 seconds and then he submitted Keith Lee in the third round Seven fights in a row at lightweight against any level of competition is tough and impressive. His last couple of fights, uh, he's due a shot like this. I favor Tony. That shouldn't be a surprise. But it needs to be said about Tony, and I said it ahead of the Gagey fight. He's getting up there, man. He's 36. He's only a year older than I am. A little bit... um, like a little less when you do the math on it, but uh, actually, no, he's yeah, so he he's all because he, he's February of '84 and I'm October of '85, so yeah, uh, not quite two years, but 36 with 30 fights official, and a career that's 12 years old at this point, that catches up to you, man. And you really can't discount, he's taken damage along the way. You know, Barboza did some damage to him. Venata did some damage to him. Kevin Lee did some damage to him. Pettis hit him pretty hard. Gagey just put a beating on him, man. Uh, that, that adds up. 
and maybe it was just Gagey being the worst possible stylistic matchup for him. That's entirely possible. Maybe it was just the randomness. You know, you roll the dice enough times, you lose. But that is going to catch up with him in a significant way at some point. Whether Oliveira is the man to do it, we will find out. Uh, I, I favor Tony, but if you wanted to favor Oliveira, there's plenty of reason to do so. Oliveira... Oliveira's only 31. Good grief. He's 31, and he has almost 40 fights. When did he debut? In eight, in 2008. So they debuted about the same time. Oliveira's just busier at some point. Less injuries, I imagine, too. I don't know. So, anyway, that's a really good fight. And if something happens to the title fight, they could bump that up to the main event and just accept that they that no one's going to buy that as a pay-per-view, but still put on the card. Um, we don't have a bout order finalized for the rest of this yet. Uh, we have Junior Dos Santos and Serial gone. Not the worst fight, believe it or not. Uh, Sergey Spivak is a crappy heavyweight fight. Marvin Vittori will fight Jacare Souza. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Um, anything else in there stand out to me as it currently sits? Uh, Moicano and Fizia have got rebooked for that card. That's a good fight. So there's some good fights there. You can make a pretty good pay-per-view. If you have Figueredo Moreno main event, Ferguson Oliveira, Moicano Fiziev, Jacare Vittori, and... JDS gone. With the ability to kind of switch around. How many fights is that? One, two, three. Yeah, that would be... I think that would be five. That'd be f yeah, that'd be five. If you you could play with the order a little bit on those. You know, Moikano Fiziev opens the pay-per-view hot. You have JDS gone as kind of a cooldown followed by... Vittorian Souza, then Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira, and Figueredo Moreno. Uh, not going to draw a lot of money, but you, if we're talking value for your for money spent, on paper, that's pretty solid. That is a pretty solid card on paper. So we've got that to look forward to as our final pay-per-view of the year a little bit later in January. Uh, January. In December. In my brain. It's 2020. It all feels the same, right? Uh, okay. Moving on. Uh, let's do this. Anderson Silva, officially gone from the UFC. Now, sad days. Uh, I've mentioned before, my first, like, really, really concrete memory of sitting down and watching a fight was Anderson and Lieben, Anderson's debut. So he's been in the UFC... For I wouldn't say the duration of my MMA fandom, but uh, certainly once it became a bigger deal to me, he's always been there in the UFC. I don't know where he goes. I don't know if Bellator will be all that interested. Scott Coker didn't seem didn't seem like he was. Uh, it's not like he said no, we won't sign Anderson Silva, but he didn't seem like he was you know, chomping at the bit to get him either. Uh, I don't know what he does. He still seemed to have some drive to compete, but 
Uh, maybe he goes to one and does the uh, does his thing over there. I don't know. But not with the UFC anymore. End of an era. Don't that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, but 100% true in this case. When he either retired or got cut by the UFC, that was that was going to be the end of a very very important chapter in the history of the sport. So pay attention. See, we'll see what he does next. But no more no more Anderson Silva in the UFC. A little bit sad. Not gonna lie. Uh, all right, moving on. Okay, this is a little bit different, but let's talk about this for just a second or two. Um, the governor of Nevada mentioned that with COVID cases spiking again here in the United States, there might be some more uh, invasive shutdowns coming again. And there's an ent- it's entirely possible that that includes combat sports. Now, there's... Uh, uh, I don't want to get too deep into this. Shutting down sporting events to the limited extent that sporting events are going on as a, as a means of curtailing the spread of the virus is something people do. It's not really doing all that much. Let me put it like this. Uh, especially with the testing procedures that a lot of these pla- that a lot of these things have in place. Uh, in certain cases, they uh, uh, the NBA had that bubble. Like, okay, everyone comes in and is tested, and now no one comes in or out. Which seemed to work. Seemed to work. The UFC can't do that, obviously, but they have a fairly extensive testing protocol in place. They've, had a, they've lost a lot of fights to the virus. A lot of people have gotten it. Uh, I mean, Cody Garbrandt got it and came out this week that he's still suffering after effects. Um, the virus does not affect everyone equally. Some people wind up with like long-running issues of you know, blood clots or re- pneumonia relapses. Uh, Garbrandt seems to be one of those people that's having some kind of chronic issues related to it. So, uh, th- point being, they're not afraid to cancel fights because of it. They've I am not advocating this on behalf of the UFC, also, lest I be accused of being a shill. It just doesn't strike me as all that productive to completely shut down um, certain sporting events that have demonstrated a capacity for lim- for either responsible testing or just being able to kind of limit things, especially if they're not, you know, big events with a lot of fans. I mean... I don't. Let me be clear about this. I don't know for sure, but have any of the either MMA or boxing events that have gone on recently been traced to big outbreaks? Uh, I don't think they have. I'd be surprised if they had, but I would need specific data. I mean, uh, they. It doesn't seem like shutting down a sporting event is an effective measure given all of the measures already in place. But it is something that any politician can do and then say, look, I did something. Um, if that happens for the UFC, they will have to relocate quickly. Here's kind of the thing about this. And when I, because Dana was like, uh, when asked about this at the post fight presser for uh, 254, 
No, I've not heard anything about this. I've heard everything to the contrary. Never mind what the governor's office is putting out. Uh, but it was reported when the UFC had to shut down for a while. And we talked a little bit about this here. It deserves to be brought up again. The UFC does have a minimum number of events that they have to put on to uh, meet their contracts for ESPN. ESPN is paying them a lot of money. I uh, I forget what the exact number is, forgive me, but hundred, high hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a little bit over the billion mark, but I can't remember what it is, so don't, don't hold me to that, please. Point being, a lot of money that the UFC needs. The UFC has expenses, the UFC has overhead, the UFC has employees, etc., etc., etc. I think the UFC is a business. They have, and if you are banking your business operations on receiving contracted revenue at some point, you are going to do everything in your power to hit the markers for your contracted revenue. In the case of what they are owed from you at ESPN, no one knows the exact number because I think it's part of a contract that is not public information. But uh, a lot of reporters have kind of asked around, and they all kind of came to the same... They all got about the same number, or uh, language was used to vaguely indicate something around the 40 to 42 mark. If that number is 42, the UFC, right now, if every event that they have on the books goes through, will will be exactly 42 events for the year of 2020. If that number is 42 and they are suddenly shut down for an event and and can't make it up, there's not, there's not time to make these things up at this point in time. The UFC lost five events. They lost, I think, uh, all of April and everything but one in March. I, I think the total number was five. They had to fi- they then had to put five more events throughout the rest of the year to kind of get back to the number of events that they needed to hit to hit the revenue marker. If they get shut if something happens and they aren't given adequate time, they're going to be in trouble. They are not in a position right now assuming the number is 42. If the number is 40, they have some leeway. If the number is 41, they have one event that they can play with. If it's 42, they have no wiggle room. Everything else that they have scheduled must go off as currently scheduled, or they will not, or they will not hit their uh, contractual minimums to be paid, uh, which would be a very scary thing for them financially. That would be an enormous hit to not get whatever you know. $600 million, $700 million, whatever ESPN is paying them. Uh, they can't afford that at this point. They really can't. So that's going to be something to pay attention to if more extensive lockdowns come into place. Uh, how fast the UFC might have to relocate to some area that uh, will be more amenable to, and in defense of the UFC. And we'll say this. They have, dem- they have enough evidence at this point demonstrating that their testing procedures are thorough and, uh, and uh, again, I, it's not that none of their personnel or fighters get COVID. It's more, has this been traceable to either big outbreaks or 
does a city deciding to let the UFC host an event under the conditions that the UFC is currently operating pose a significant risk to the local population uh, where it's being held? Now, that's a there's a lot of data that I don't have that might sway the argument one way or the other, but that's the that's the question. So the UFC is not at this point running to tribal land desperately. <laughs> Uh, well, no one knows what's going on or what they're doing. The UFC's put a, put some procedures in place, and they have a fair amount of history at this point utilizing those procedures. Uh, so they can make they have an actual case here, not just shut up and let us do what we want. They have evidence to back up various claims that they can make. Uh, it's just something to pay attention to. They they really can't afford to lose an event. But if extensive lockdowns are coming, they might get shut down again. Uh, we'll just have to pay attention to that. That's all we can do. Uh, okay, last thing here on my docket. Um, all right, UFC lightweight champion. I say that because he is still the UFC lightweight champion. Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh gave a speech, I think it's uh, to a, an agricultural college this week, he's and reaffirmed that he has no desire to compete. Uh, he's now, again, how true that is in the long term remains to be seen, but right now he seem everything that Khabib has said indicates he's done. He said that it's always going to be a tough decision, stuff like it's always going to be a tough decision, there's always going to be, you know, uh, points one way or the other if I go for 30 and 0 what's di what's all that different about 29 and 0 versus 30 and 0 uh, you know, stuff like that um, as soon as anytime Khabib says something like this immediately Dana White and Khabib's manager will do the fake news thing uh, I don't know what to tell you guys but if Khabib is saying he's done and he's saying it in circumstances you know all over the world. Uh, who are you going to believe? A professional liar and a professional liar, which is, and look, that's what promoters are. They're professional liars, which might seem odd considering that their job is to promote things you're going to get. But if you look at how they have to conduct business, they're liars. And that's not just Dana White. That's all of them. Dana White, Bob Arum, Don King, uh, Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn? Yeah, I think Eddie Hearn. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya. Don't, I don't care. All of them. There's maybe some are more or less honest than others, but they're all fundamentally liars. Or Khabib's manager, who's, again, a professional liar. His job is to advocate for his client and himself because he gets paid because of his client. Of course, the managers are going to lie, that's what they're. There's a very real argument that complete candor and transparency would be, in some respects, unethical as it would go against the best interests of their client. So, are you going to believe those two or are you going to believe Khabib? At the moment, I tend to believe Khabib, at least in the short term. A year from now, look, might he come back for one last fight at some point? Maybe. It would have to be the right fight for the right price kind of deal, I tend to think. Uh, but there, 
Dana and Khabib's manager, I think he's managed by, by uh, Ali Abdulaziz. They're just trying to kind of string things along in case he changes his mind. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe they know stuff we don't. I, I just tend to take Khabib at his word more than those two, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Alright, that's everything I've got. Let me check Twitter one more time. I don't think anything crazy has happened in the world of MMA uh, since we've been recording. So yeah, let's let's go ahead and get out of here then for the week. Uh, what did I do? Uh, I think. Look, you can find me Fridays covering SmackDown in the Wrestling Zone of Four One One Mania. Saturdays covering UFC events. You're listening to this show, obviously. Um, MLW's Fusion kind of got back to live, live, put air quotes around that stuff. Uh, I've got to double check and make sure that that's what I'm going to be covering going forward. Uh, because they're airing that on Wednesdays on YouTube, but I think that's what I'll be doing, so you can read me doing that as well. Um... I recorded a Star Trek podcast this last week. It's it's this is one of the ones that is edited, so I don't know when it will be going up. But it's I was a guest on David Wright's series. This time we it was the two of us talking about the uh, Next Generation films. So this would be Star Trek Generations through Nemesis. Uh, that will be up in the future at some point. You can look forward to. Uh, yeah, uh, some stuff. I can check the schedule real fast. Uh, only things on my podcast schedule at the moment are all for later in December. Uh, we have some stuff dropping on Christmas. News broke that like uh, the new Wonder Woman movie will drop on HBO Max on Christmas. Souls coming out on Disney Plus on Christmas. Uh, we've got re- Damn You Hollywood reviews scheduled for both of those. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, yeah. That's all stuff coming forward later in the year. Uh, the next, you know, couple of months. I'll be back next week. We'll review UFC on ESPN plus 42 and um, preview the next card. They'll be on Ve- UFC on ESPN 19. Wow, this is not a great card. Sorry, I've been saying that a lot about these last few ones, but uh, your main event is Jack Hermanson and Kevin Holland. Uh, this was supposed to be Hermanson and Darren Till. Um, even that. Like, that's not the worst. There's not a lot of value on this card. Uh, let's see. You got Luis Smolka and Jose Alberto Quinones. That got rebooked for this. After Smolka missed weight a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Gabriel Benitez and Justin Chains. Mowgli's usually good for a fight. Um, oh, God. John Volante and Jake Collier. Collier used to be a middleweight. Uh, so did Volante at one point, I think. That's just depressing. Uh, yeah, that is... Okay. Tune in next week when I bury that card more officially. Jeez. 
Uh, all right. Until next time, thank you all again very much for listening. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.